just pivot and fire, but um, you got me a nice bourbon. Yeah, so, so let's talk about that. Let's let's start the uh, start the show with you, what we're. You want to start the show? Okay. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. Let's go right into it. Uh, you told me about Whistle Pig, right? That was the uh, the conversation we had. Um, so I went out and got a. It's a hundred percent rye. What a six year. Six so, years what we decided to drink tonight. Oh, and yeah? That was turned on to me by uh, Dylan Winberg. You know, I call him Big Tax, but. He introduced me to Whistle Pig, and and man, it, yeah, you can spend the money on the twelve. The ten and the six are gonna taste just about the same as the really? two. So why spend one hundred and forty bucks, one hundred and fifty bucks? Exactly. When you can spend, I mean, it's a good mid shelf. It's sixty, seventy bucks depending on where you're at. Sure, I like it. It's, why it's why nice spend one hundred fifty bucks for a bottle you're really not gonna drink much anyway? You know, because it's so expensive. It's just gonna sit yeah. up there and you're gonna forget about it. You know, it looks cool on your rack. Right. I prefer to drink them and the fluid inside them. And I don't have a budget that supports, you know, me drinking a lot of $150 bottles when I could have got four for the price. Of that one. is true. That is true. This surprisingly is actually the first time I've even tried Whistle Pig. So I'm, uh, I'm curious. And when you said it, you know, I've been wanting to do it, but I've always, I always need like some sort of inspiration or reason behind it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, I've seen it on the shelves. So I just haven't picked it up yet, but, uh, so it's a six year. Oh. Yeah. Fresh pop. Um, yeah. a little dab there, but, uh, just start the show, you know, let's, let's go right into it. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back within Thin Lines. My name is Vince Castaneda, and I'm here with you today for a bonus episode, sitting with a gentleman from IA Med who I personally have found to be a role model in the education world of what I do. And we have the pleasure here today to hear more about his story and his background. With a flight medic in your background, you would really appreciate some of the uh, audible. (laughs) Yeah. There it is. Chris, welcome to the show. It's always a pleasure. It's an honor. That's it. That's <laughs> that a two-blade. That is a two- <laughs> I can tell the sound of it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. There it is. So, Chris, give give a second to introduce yourself and who you are, where you're from, and what you do. And most importantly, how is it that you came on the show with me today? Yeah. Well, first off, Vincent, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's it's an absolute just pleasure to be able to talk with like-minded individuals within our industry and, and really just have good clinical discussions or just discussions about current relative events. But my name is Chris Capana. I am the former CEO of IA Med. We were recently acquired, so my new role and title is actually Senior Director of Emergency Aid Medical Education. That's a mouthful. I liked CEO. It was a lot better. Sure. <laughs> but that, that was a company that we co-founded about four years ago, myself and my business partner, John Reed, who's a former 18 Delta and a fellow paramedic. Um, we really were passionate about medical education and making it actually uh, an impactful difference within our organization and our industry. You know, we both saw... Um, a lot of fragmentation without uh, throughout the industry. We also saw a lot of uh, just, you know, things and opportunities that we just thought could be done a little bit better. So, you know, we came together, but really my background has predominantly been the last 15 years in flight medicine. You know, I started out in 2006 and I'm still currently a flight paramedic. I haven't clinically practiced in the last three years, just in transparency, just because I've been, I'm, I'm now kind of a, a businessman more, more than I am a clinician. I still have a passion for medicine education, but, uh, I do have some passions of pushing certain, um, I guess priorities that I have, you know, sure. whether it be diversity or, you know, just mental health and awareness, things like that. You know, I feel like, Hey, if you, you have an opportunity to make a difference in this world, why not do it? So, but I carry my national paramedic and I carry my CCPC along with my FPC and I've written four study guides now and, uh, with, a large team, you know, and it's taken a community of like-minded individuals to kind of get IAM into where it is today. And, you know, the rest is kind of becoming uh, another history. And sure. we're very excited where we're going to go. And how, how old is IAMED, would you say? So IAMED, me and John got together and founded IAMED in 2017. Um, we had purchased the company off of the former owner and took it from kind of an on-the-road kind of uh, mom and pop kind of show, uh, it was kind of a one-off, um, and we really kind of made it into more of a focused, uh, MVP with just the first course, the flight medical robotic course. Um, we won after our accreditations because we felt like if I'm going to sit, especially me, I'm a paramedic. I'm also a flight paramedic. If I'm going to sit in a class for four days, I want to get CU credits. Sure, for right. Make it worthwhile. And so, 
Yeah, and so that bred the whole get our Capsi. So we got Capsi accredited, became a training center with the, an AMT, and then we went after our California Board of Registered Nursing accreditation, and then we started having nurses come. Well, that just that just made it even better, more diversity in the pot. So it's yep. been fun. There it is. I dig it. I love it. Um, for me, like personally, I, I kind of talked about it earlier, but or throughout almost every episode we talk about all the edu- educational shows, I always bring up IMED. Um, and it's not a plug, you know, it's not, it's not like we're, we're sponsored or anything, but it's for me, I take that personally because I trust, I need to trust my education. Um, I got to meet your organization back in Memphis when I renewed or took my, uh, flight paramedic uh, certificate and, uh, met one of your instructors, Dylan, great guy, you know, and you took that long course into four hours and, or four days and just made it to an experience. Um, and to me, that was my aspiration was to continue off to, to be a flight paramedic that I am today in the, uh, the army and part-time, um, working full-time as a firefighter paramedic, but having that clinical skill and that knowledge and continuing education, that's crucial to what we do. And I don't know if you're aware, but even more so that, you know, for fire, that's something they want to, um, pursue is to have us renew our certificates every two years or so. So there's a movement for that. You know, I know Michigan starting it, Illinois is going to be incorporating that as well where I'm at. But uh, usually, traditionally, it's like you get your rope ops and you're done. You know, you could have it for 10 years, 20 years, but now they want you to take that con ed, which is great, you know? <laughs> I'm still a firefighter. I, yeah. I was an engineer firefighter before I became a flight paramedic. There you and go. I was, you know, I, worked, I was a DOD, uh, you know, uh, medic before that. So, no, no kidding. But you're right. Like, when you look at the difference in the growth of the industry, it's definitely growing. And you are seeing more and more fire departments. But I... I I'm still a firefighter. I have my fire too. I have my ADO. I could get hired on to any department. You could throw me behind the wheel of a, you know, a 10 ton truck. And I'd be like, yeah, I got yeah. this. You ever miss that? <laughs> Dude. Uh, man, it was such a struggle. I will tell you, like, it, it was hard to leave the fire service to go fly, but I really had a passion for medicine and just, I really loved it, man. Like I just, I, you could ask my wife, I don't read books, man. I just don't. I do now. I, I listen to all of audio books all the time. But back then, I didn't read books. If it wasn't required, I wasn't going to read it. You know what I did love? Medical journals. Absolutely. Love my paramedic. I saw my original Mosby paramedic textbook from 2004. Yep. 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 I got mine somewhere <laughs> So right it's here. like, and I read that thing. And it's just like, you just keep asking why. I got more fascinated because you can go so far down a rabbit hole and really kind of like down to the cellular level and just how everything breaks down and starts to kind of compound from its way back. And I really drew into that, but I missed the fire service. I really do, man. It, it was a hard transition. I was a full-time flight medic. And then I was like, ah, and then I went back to the fire service part-time. And then I went back full-time. Then I went back to flying and doing both. And you know, I just, I was confused. Sure. I was going to be straight, but I got a lot of good experience working for a bunch of different departments. And yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to have the credentials and experience under your belt, you know, and saying like, yeah. I, I hate to be that old salty, you know, firefighter and paramedic that we are at, at this point of our career, but I love going through my old books and like learning about mass pants again that you never see, you know, that are not existent because <laughs> it's new medicine, but to see how medicine has uh, changed. <laughs> And I, I think our current like new generation of EMTs are going to start talking about like the kid board. Like we talk yes. about the mass trousers, yes. you know, it's just, <laughs> right. you know, the progressive of medicine mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just is what it is. It's but, crazy how yeah, fast you, it's you, going. You don't get, you don't get bored though. You I mean, a lot of people, I mean, if you're in medicine, medicine never stops, right. it never stops innovating. It never stops with the research and what we're finding. Um, so it just always is progressing. And that's the cool thing because you'll never really, if you're a lifelong learner, medicine is definitely for you because it always changes. Now you mentioned the old salty dog. That's the medic or the EMT that finally just said, I'm off the change bus. I'm out. Like, why are we changing ACLS again? Why are we going back to no respiration? Like, you know, that's where you kind of lose the passion, but medicine's always changing. And it's funny because, you know, I look back in my early career when we used to hyperventilate TBI and suspected TBI patients. I killed a lot of patients. Mm. I'm okay saying that, but we learned, exactly. right? And so medicine's medicine progressive, is. man. You got to have a solid educational background to understand this. Absolutely. It would be fascinating where medicine goes in even two years from now, you know, five, 10 years. Um, it's always progressing, always changing. And why, how do we stay prepared for that? Con Ed. <laughs> Con Ed. Con Ed. You, you want to understand how far we're at right now in, in medicine? Um, 
I don't know if I, I wasn't told not to say this. So I don't think it's it's not under NDA. Oh, anything, go ahead. <laughs> but I'll, I'll leave it out. But there sure. is a university-based air medical program here in Utah that is going to be using drones to be their flying blood bank to get to their bases so they don't oh, waste blood. Whoa. They are building a system for that. How crazy Whoa. is that? That's where we're at. That, yeah. that, that's literally happening right now. Yeah. I mean, if you look over like so in the five UK, years, I don't know, man. The UK is already doing drones for, you know, ADs. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. it's like. It's, we're leveraging technology in other ways. You know, it's going to shape the future of medicine. I don't know, man. The, the thing of the tricorder, that could be a real deal, man. Who yeah. knows? You think a paramedics would be taken over by a kiosk? Dude, I don't know, man. That's why I'm going to get my my, my Space Force medic yep. certified. Right. <laughs> yep. right? Don't forget yes. our April Fool's joke. But yeah, yes, that's you always got to be thinking about, hey, well, it might end here, but there's always going to be travel. There's always going to be a need for emergency medicine in some regard. Yes, sir. Um, but my, I mean, my wife's talking about it, man. They're, they're clinical perfusionists, anesthesiologists. Like, they're, who knows where the what the future lies? I think there will always be some sort of human element because I don't think we as humans are comfortable just hundred percent giving way of that control, but with AI and, and all this technology they're doing, I mean, you can do remote surgery, now. literally right. remote surgery on a heart and you're not even in the room. You're not even on the same comment potentially. Yeah. So it's crazy, you know, where we're going with innovation. And then, and that's why I kind of like going to the conferences because you get to see so much and that as me as an innovator and, and an entrepreneur, you know, I go there and it kicks off my own ideas. Well, I see what they're doing. And then, you know, and you kind of, you know, and that's how we grow. And we, some things stick and some things just roll off the wall. You know, it's just throwing spaghetti, but you know, that Absolutely. one thing that does stick might actually make it, make a big impact and change. Yeah. And those conferences are a great idea too, to kind of see where the world's going and see what other sides of the coast, you know, of, the, of our country are doing. Cause I know mm-hmm. medicine's completely different where you're at, where I'm at right now, you know, and just the, the, the obviously money's a, a funding is an issue with it, but it's about practice and uh, where the state wants to provide, but and hopefully we see a progression and 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 we see it kind of dwindle into a, a, a bigger scheme of things. But again, it's just con ed and uh, seminars and and going to these events, you know. And for yourself, you know, we follow your your Facebook page and your your con ed page, and that's huge, you know. So that's how I say on my feet. Well- Ali, Ali is the master of our Facebook page. The, 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 the group medical page, that's, that's me. That's kind of my passion thing along with the flight Academy, but dude, Ali does a phenomenal job with that. Sure. And, and the conferences are a good way to get innovation and, and meet and connect with other people. Yes. And I like that because you know, you, that human element does bring in a lot. So it was nice to kind of be back on the road and, you know, you take the necessary precautions, but you know, at some point right now, like I got my third booster, like, there's only so much I can do, you know, right. and, but you want to get out and you want to, you want to innovate, you want to create the next thing or be a part of that next thing. You're going to, going to have to get out there. You're going to have to network with people. Yep. And that, that's where conferences, I think, bring a lot of value. They bring the people together, especially those that are passionate about medicine, because as you know, most, most of these medics and EMTs, nurses that are going to these conferences, they're, they're usually paying out of pocket for this. Right. Right. And you know, that that's an attestation to that, that individual and their strive to be a lifelong learner and be a master of the craft because, you know, you don't always get to provide those opportunities. I, I didn't get a lot of opportunities from the fire department to learn about a lot of things, you know, right. I mean, we were just taking insulin pumps and people would OPAs taped into their mouth and we would just BDM them because they, the air crew couldn't fly. We don't have a ventilator. Well, guess what? We'll just paralyze and put an OPA in, tape it down so they can't spit it out. And then you can just bag it. I'm like, okay. Right. When do I get trained for that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yep. you have to be a lifelong learner, man. And, and and I commend everybody that does go to these these conferences and and they go to learn and and network and find out what is the next thing because that's the future of our industry, right? Those are the people that are going to make some really good change. I'm not saying the other people that don't go to conferences aren't either, so don't take it that way. But right. you know, you're you're presented with what I call collisions, right? The more collisions I have. The more inspiration, the more things, the more attraction, you know, whatever you want to call it, synergy, you know, you're going to yeah. get that. And that's, that's where you, and it's good to have good synergy, man. I get off these conferences and I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm still getting over uh, the conference <laughs> tour this last fall. Um, but, but I loved it, man. It, it was great to get out and get to, to meet some fellow, some fellow educators, some fellow uh, lifelong learners and clinicians. Absolutely. I love it. So before we go into two details about the uh, what we do in the show and kind of what our 
past uh, episodes have talked about because I want to hear your stance on it. I'm going to go ahead and move yeah. over into the uh, the little game that we play with our new guests here. It's a little tradition that we've kind of kicked off and wanted to uh, – it's, it's like an icebreaker um, for us to kind of hear more about what you are all about, hear more about your story, and uh, see how quickly you respond. So you get a minute to answer. Um, obviously, if I feel like there's a little stutter or hesitation, I just move right to the next question. Okay. <laughs> so Let's pretty, do this. Pretty simple. Advice. Pretty simple. You ready? Yes, sir. All right. I'm going to start the clock. You're a new color in a crayon box. What color are you and what do you call yourself? Blue, and I call myself Aquaman. <laughs> Greatest fear. I'm not putting it out there. <laughs> Someone's going to leverage it against me, but I'll have clowns. clowns. Clowns are definitely my biggest fear. What is your greatest <laughs> accomplishment? My kids. And my greatest, <laughs> ah, greatest movie. Top Gun, dude. Right Top here. Gun. You're a piece of, like, on a chessboard, right? What what piece of a, of a chess piece are you and why? I like the knight, man. Okay. He's just, he's smooth. He slides right in. You don't see him come out of the side. He'll just take you out, you know, if there you're you not go. careful enough. And don't see it. He, he's a stinky guy. He takes you out. Zombie apocalypse, what's in your hand? I'm driving my TRX. <laughs> I'm running him over. <laughs> I think that answers my next question. Dream car. Already got it. Yeah. <laughs> Career goals, short term and long term. We're gonna keep going. Oh, okay. So short term, uh, I still want to. I want to learn more about business. Okay. Uh, and being a, a better organizational leader. There, I'm a young entrepreneur. I'm a young leader, and there's still a lot I can learn to help out and, and give back to the industry. Lifelong, man. Yeah, I just want to continue to push and innovate emergency medicine to the next step and be a part of that ride. You know, that's a. It's an honor to be a part of, you know, especially around the group that we have right now in our industry, you know, the Tyler Christofolis, the Sams, Eric Bowers, you know, myself, Will Wingfield, Colby. There's a lot of good people out there. Yeah. Man. It's, a, it's an exciting time to be in critical care medicine. Absolutely. What is your retirement plan? My retirement plan, man, I just want to get on a boat <laughs> and just go cruise around the Caribbean. And then I'm going to cruise all the way down to South America. Yep. just enjoy it, man. Absolutely. I love being on my boat. You got to be it's out a there. Good zen place for me. Got to have those hobbies. And lastly, what is community preparedness to you? What does that mean to you? Dude, community preparedness as a whole, um, you, you got to be a functional member of society. You got to give back, you know. Um, and this is not me too, no horn. This is just a really good example. Around my house, there's four elderly people that live here, right? They're, they're in excess of 75 pounds. When it snows here and it snows pretty bad, it gets slippery. Well, I know statistically if they slip and fall and break a hip, their lifespan is going to be shortened by at least five years. Within five years, clinically, you're more than likely at that age, you're going to expire. Um, so those are little things to be aware of. I'm not saying the general public is aware of that, but I make it a point to go out and snowball their, their driveways and things like that. I can help clear it up just you know, as well in those little ways. I don't always do it because I'm not always home, but when I am home, I go out there and do it. It's one of my ways to give back. You know, the fire station, those guys do a great job. I just drop off gift cards every now and then. Hey, let me buy a meal because they can't, they're not going to take food, right? But right. we'll take a gift card when they go to the store next. Or if I see them at the store, like my little son, he walked over and gave the firefighter, really, hey, here you go. Like, dinner's on us. Thank you. But that's being a functional and giving back to your, your, your those around you because it really does make a community, whether it be, uh, you know, and you can go out from that. It could be my immediate family or family and friends. And then from their coworkers and then like-minded individuals like you. So it kind of expands out, but you know, for me, I want to be a part of this whole community we call the world. So, yeah. you know, I try to be a good human being where I can, you know, maintain good moral values and character. And, and I try to hold those near and dear. And then there are certain things that I, I'm very, you know, hard, hard, fast on, but those are my individual beliefs. And so, you know, it gives you that kind of perspective, but you have to give back, man. You, whether it be giving at the food shelter, donating your time somewhere, I go teach for free in the Valley. I don't charge anybody. So, wow, um, you know, it's just one of those opportunities you can do. You know, I have the opportunity to give back. So I leverage what I'm good at, right? That's yeah. what I'm good at. If you're an accountant, you can probably help out someone, donate your time with them doing, you know, you know, their, their taxes, stuff like that. And there are accounts that donate their time. And so those are just good examples of community because we do need to think about the whole. Now, if you want to talk about our community and public safety, well, that's a little bit different. But yeah. Yeah. you kind of just took it in a whole nother level because, like, uh, it is kind of talk about our community, you know, the first responder community and how do we prepare even our the people around us and our civilians. Um, we, we talked about on a recent show about preparing, like, the CPR classes, stop the bleed classes. 
you know, start from the basics and uh, doing that PR with the people around us. And but you just took it into a whole nother level, just like, hey, take that extra time of snow blowing that that driveway because you know who's who might get hurt if they get hurt. You know, and then uh, that's that's community preparedness. I like it. You know, that's great. You kind of blew my mind. <laughs> you took it a whole nother realm, and that's that's where we want to see it. Sorry, so. man. No, yeah. I dig it. It's, just, that's it, awesome. it's an example of being a good human being. Right? We all want to be a good human being, right? Like, I want to be a good clinician. I want to be a good dad, a good husband. We all aspire to be these yep. things. Um, I, what I think is a barrier sometimes is people just don't know where to start. They don't know how to start. And, and guess what? I don't know. I don't know what's good, right, wrong, you know, but what I would say is do something. Right. Any action is better than non-action or inaction. So Absolutely. And on the education realm, how would you define community preparedness? Like we talked about earlier, uh, I, I will tell you, like when I was a new baby medic, and I and I tell this all in my classes. If you've seen any of my classes or, or seen me teach uh, the, the FMP course, yep. I always talk about you know all the mistakes I made, you know, and how arrogant I was as a young medic, and and that really staunched my personal and professional growth. Uh, you know, you know, EMS is a small community. So not like I had the greatest, you know, I'm not saying I had a bad reputation, but I was known as that kind of cocky young firefighter paramedic that thinks he knows everything, you know, just got out of medic school and, you know, and you, you think you're, you're kind of Billy, you know, BA, you know, and I, yeah, it just, you learn from that. So when I think about community premier, preparedness in our industry, it's preparing yourself to continue to learn from multiple perspectives, Right. You may not agree with your fellow clinician, but medicine is medicine. There is no, there, there are right or ways, but guess what? There, it, it's not black and white. It's great half the right. time. And there's a different shit agree in between the black and white. Yep. So, you know, it depends on how far you are. But the other part of that is, is okay, well, be an advocate, right? So be an advocate for doing the right thing with the right patient, right? So, you know, I made an ED post the other day about some feedback and holy cow, there was people on both sides of the fence on that one, you yes. know? We changed our IAMED logo in June for Pride Month. You would be surprised how hard we got trolled. I got trolled. Really? Yeah. And it just, it it opens my eyes. You know, the, I'm sorry if if you're uh, not uh, in agreement with the stance of what vaccines do. Well, I'm sorry. Like I had a really, I wouldn't say heated debate, but we definitely had a good dialogue. Um, just a random paramedic I ran into while I had my kids last weekend down at our trailer. Like he did not believe in vaccinations and I was just floored. So, you know, I, that's not, to me, that is not being a good representative of your community. You know, if you're in medicine, I mean, you're basically saying, I don't believe in medicine. You know, you're just here for the job. You're here for the paycheck. You're not here for the actual evidence-based stuff that's coming out. And like I mentioned earlier with my TBI analysis, when we used to over, you know, hyperventilate TBIs, I killed a lot of patients. Well, yeah, we're going to find mistakes along the way. That's just that. I make mistakes in business. I make mistakes in life. I mean, to think that medicine is not going to make mistakes. Yeah. We do everything we can to limit the possibilities and to validate everything. Yes. But community preparation in, in, in our industry and in pre-hospital medicine, especially is, you got to be a good steward of, and be a good forward facing steward because the public looks to you as well. So if your friends, family, neighbors all know you're an EMT or a paramedic or a firefighter or a cop. Guess what? You're, you're an extension. Whether you're on duty or off duty, you're on duty, yes. whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's what you signed up for. Yes. Um, I, I had a captain early on when I was a probie and, and Rick, Rick Paris, Captain Paris was, he always told me like, Hey man, always act whether you're in uniform or out of uniform, like someone has a camera on you. If you will always have that in the back of your mind, and that has stuck with me throughout my career. Hey, always act like there's a camera. Someone is watching what you're doing, your mannerisms, how you behave. You know, and if you're, you know, you're out doing something you shouldn't be doing off duty. Well, that's a reflection of the industry, your profession. You know, whether you're a firefighter, you wear a badge, doesn't matter. It's a reflection of the industry as a whole. So you've got to be a good representation of what you're doing. It is, and it's to me that's uh, that defines it. You know, it's one of those things that we, we as an educator for me, especially, I love to see when my students fail, you know, when they, they fail in a certain task because they learn from it. You know, when I first push them in the door of doing, let's say, the uh, TECC, you know, the hands-on training for tactile medicine. When I go out there and I tell them, hey, this is how, you know, certain techniques, but they, they kind of challenge it because they feel like they already know what the answer is. And they go out there and fail. And you can see their faces just go from like, oh, man, I need to learn. And you're like, that's why you're here. This is what we're doing it for. You know, it's for you to learn something and for you to take away and then just – but, again, the best way to learn is by making mistakes, trial and error, and that's what medicine is, you know. Um, 
And that's just one of those things for community preparedness. You know, for us, is in, a, in a previous series of episodes, we we're talking about just going out there and, and maybe even offering free Con Ed, or not Con Ed, but free CPR classes to our, our public. You know, that's something that's not really seen anymore. Um, but then it's just maintaining that con ed with people who are, let's say, at your firehouse that are salty and they don't want to do con ed. They don't want to learn new ways of medicine. You know, they are these, they're stuck in the stigma of firefighters don't do medicine. And we see that a lot. That's a good point. That's a, so I, I actually got an email the other day. It actually was the other day. It was probably back in the middle of November when I finally got to it. Um, but it was from a student who had asked and reached out and said, hey, you know, I, I appreciate running into you. I think it was at EMS World or one of the conferences. But she also, she, she asked a question that I thought was a really good, and you just brought up, how do you take someone who's salty and does not want to learn, that is checked out, how do you engage that person? How do you bring them back into the, into the fold? How do you bring them over back into, into the side of the bright side and, and the, the enlightenment side? I don't right. know. Um, that's a hard, that was a hard question. And, and I'd like to first hear your thoughts on, because I, I think this is a good point, you know, for a lot of people, because there are those people out there. And if I'm me, cause I'm me and I'm, you know, I got a ton of energy. I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. I want to, every time we have a shift, it's like three hours of educa- medical education, right? Hey, what are we doing? Podcast, watch a video. Let's go play a scenario. Let's go do something, right? I'm not going to just sit here on my loins. Um, but then there's those people like, they try to go do that. You put me with someone who just wants to, you know, ride the, the lazy boy all day. He wants to ride the recliner. We're not going to work well together. I can tell you first off. Right. Um, and second off, man, you're, you're, you're you know, it, it becomes that early on, I didn't have the answer to this and I may still not, I don't, I'm not saying I, I'm not professing to have the answer for this, but I think I have a little bit more experience that I could provide a, a good, maybe, you know, my perspective, but I'd like to hear what, what Vince for people out there that are like, Hey, I got old salty dog riding the recliner. How'd I get that guy out of the, out of the chair? Yeah. Yeah. I think something that I've noticed before in my, in my experience is that like, obviously if you make it a teamwork thing, it's contagious. Right. If you were to go into the the new candidate and try to train him on something and, and talk about ladders, you know, it's for me, if there's if there's a student in the classroom who's who's kind of like not that he's sheltering himself, but he kind of puts himself out there as like he doesn't want to participate because he feel, he just doesn't want to get involved or he gets involved too much as if he knows too much and he knows more than the rest of the class. You give them an assignment, you know, you give them a specialty like, hey, sir, I know you've been on the job for 20 years. You've probably got great experience about ladders and roofs. Come up here and talk about ladders and roofs. You know, you have the knowledge, you have the wealth, and you give them that opportunity to open their up, open their own doors with this information, and they'll start talking, they'll start rambling, but then you find themselves, like, teaching. You know, they, you find them up on stage educating <laughs> in their own ways, you know, but as long as you make it fun and you, like, for me, when it comes to being an instructor, I can't do the PowerPoints. I can't just sit there and slide through PowerPoints. You know, I, I think from my latest class for TECC, I spent the first five minutes just clicking through slides. I was like, all right, listen, guys, I can't do this. We're going to the draw hall and we're doing hands-on. <laughs> and they all stood up and they enjoyed it, you know, and that's how they learn. You know, you can't, you can't really drill it on a, a PowerPoint presentation as much as like, hey, get your hands dirty with it. Look at the equipment you're playing with. Um, play, bust out a, a mannequin to innovate. You know, how often can do we one, just... Do one, teach one, brother. Yeah, exactly. But you, you mentioned that, like, once you get them engaged, that's the cool thing. Because that's when, like, I, I really feel cool. Let me back up. I find it inspiring when you get one of those old salty dogs and they get up there and they're like, I don't want But then when they start going, you can see yes. the passion come out. Yes. And then you see the new guys and the probies, whether you be a firefighter, a new EMT, a new flight medic, like, once that old salty person starts talking, like, you're like, man okay like there's knowledge in there you just gotta know how to pull it out yep so my my answer to that email was hey you know everybody's different but you got to be engaging and it's how you engage right so if i engage someone tactfully with a little bit of thought and kind of start small but like you meant give them a sign like hey can you can you teach me about you know pressure I'm, i'm having a hard time i had one salty dog and this is also what i was still trying to learn too this is when you get a salty dog and, and someone who's really hungry i wasn't you know i was probably a, a year and a half flight medic. And I still didn't know all my lab values. 
Yeah, there wasn't something that was commonly taught or even in practice back then. So I took one of those little dogs and said, hey, man, can you run me through the CBC and call me and walk me through, like, what's on, off, what's off, where are they going to be the causes so I can understand this. And then every flight we'd go on, I'd be like, hey, after we get back, we pull out the lab bags and talk. I was able to get that person to engage with me, and then they loved it. And then that allowed them, and through feedback, you find them, hey, they're engaging other uh, clinicians throughout the other ships and stuff like that. Right. So. But you got to find that thing, and you're not going to win them all. Yeah. It just it's 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 there's very, some that are just like okay, well you're 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 here. It's right, personalized right to that individual. You know, you got to find something engaging, personalized to that one specific person. What is it that really makes them passionate? And they all some everybody's got a passion somewhere, whether it's under dust or under rust, under saltiness, whatever it is. But they've got passion somewhere. You just got to dig it out and and figure out what it is. But you find that, and you give them an assignment like, hey, obviously you love roofs. You know, you love being a truckie come up here and teach me something about being a truckie, you know, and you somehow, some way in form, fashion, or another, they're going to come out and they're going to start talking and rambling this out. Just like you said, the new candidates going to be watching and be like, okay, he's got some stuff. He's got some stuff to say, but he's just got time on the job. Who doesn't want to talk anymore? You know, but. And you're just seeing how they like open up again, yes. right? Like they do. They're like, you get to see a piece of like the old, you know, a little the, sparkle the, the, in their the eyes. Rust yeah. A little sparkle. <laughs> like there is a tear left. I got to see it, but no, there's, there's something there, you know, and, and you see that spark. And I, I would compare that to any educator. Like uh, my friend, he's a, he's a water polo coach, you know, and he went to, he just got back from Colorado Springs and he went to a coach's camp out there and learned how to basically yeah, at, the, at the Olympic facility too which is great. But, but his thing that I liked about it is he's like, I was able to have these kids that would come up to me and he had just learned something new about coaching, right? How to get a, get a swimmer to do this or that. Uh, and then he would apply it and then he would go see that swimmer, then go apply that and then come back. And he's like, I just coached, I just taught something. And right. it does, it's a little fulfilling. You know, when I see my students and they go out and they, they're successful, they, they pass an exam or they achieve a goal or they overcome something that they're struggling with. You know, it's nice because that is fulfilling for me. And that's just part of, you know, I like humanity. Yeah. I like synergy. And so, you know, I feel like if you put a lot of good out in the world, you know, there's going to be some good that comes back to some degree. And the sure. more that you put out there, you know, more hopefully it comes back. And you reminded me of something earlier. You talked about how you, someone sent you an email that was, uh, or not an email, but uh, when you change your logo for Pride Month and then you got like yeah. the bullying, not the bullying, but like the trolling, you know. Uh, that reminded me, that's kind of where our initial conversation started, is that there was something that happened on the social media that bashed your organization, and I saw how you reacted to it, and I commented. I was like, hey, actually, you know, I, I know we've never met, but, like, I'm actually proud for uh, you being a clinician and an educator for how you handled this. Um, Thank you. You know, yeah, it's one of those uh... things, like, how, how is it as an organization, something that you, obviously you take a lot of passion for and compassion for, um, how is it that you handle these these trollings and bullings, you know, and get over that hump. Cause no matter where you go, it's always going to be there in some form, you know, but it is. And, and, and that's the sad part really is, is the fact that we do have that and, and we don't have a safe space. It's really hard. And it, you know, I, I think it's just someone with the just current culture, social media, just there's, there's a lot of factors there that I'm not going to spend time to go. I, I wouldn't have time to go into, but in short, it's hard, especially early on. Like when you, it, when it's your first time and you, you're like, you're in this big kind of, you know, you know, PR kind of uh, mess, I would say, and you're trying to navigate it for the first time. I don't have a PR firm or an agency. I, this is just regular flight line Chris trying to figure out like, how's the best way to navigate this, you know? And um, I always find by just doing the right thing, uh, maintaining, like I said, I, I have certain values and characters that I hold very near and dear and true. And, you know, I, I follow that. That's my, that's my North star. That's my North compass. Sure. So whenever I get overwhelmed, I definitely did early on, especially with the first kind of PR um, storm that kind of came to the organization. It, uh, it disrupted a lot, you know, and it's like, how do you respond to this? And I'm very, you know, sometimes I get emotional. I, I am an emotional empathetic leader. You know, and it's, it's hard to separate that. That's probably one of my deficiencies, but it's also one of my strengths because right. I am an empathetic leader, but it does open me up to some exposure. And, you know, I just, over time, you get comfortable with it. You do. And I started talking to other people. I had other people like you reach out that said, hey, man, I just want to, and that did give me, you know, some interview. Like, it was just like, oh, dude, I, I did. I, I was feeding off of other people's energy because I didn't have any at that point. I was exhausted yep. and I didn't know if I was doing the right thing or what. And I had, you know, I had directors and 
you know, our partners kind of reach out and they wanted to, you know, know what was going on and, and you don't be able to handle those, those tough conversations. And yeah. that does prepare you. Um, another recent example, we had a, one of our content writers, he wrote a blog and it kind of got sideways and taken out of context. And then, you know, there's always those people that want to throw fuel on the fire and fan it just to see the disruption that occurs behind it. Like they're just kind of drawn to chaos and drama. Um, and, you know, it's hard because that individual hasn't written a blog since. Yeah. You literally shut out an individual that was a great educator that tried and his own industry decided that they were going to be judge, jury, and executioner. And that's not fair no. because how are we going to get these people to grow? How are exactly. we, that's the future of medicine right there. Not me, not you. I mean, you got to look behind you. Yes. If we really want to see where we're going to change. And that's what the old guard is taught me. You know, it's not just them. It's, it's me. And then now I'm passing my torch on to the next people because you got to keep, you know, if you want to be that barrier, you can be that barrier, but you're not helping yourself. You're not helping your organization and you're not helping us and emergency medicine to put it in teeth, but not having that safe place to share and be wrong because there, there's plenty of times where I'm wrong. I see people that don't even make comments or post things because they're worried about making a mistake or being inaccurate and then getting called out. Dude, you're going to make mistakes. I don't make mistakes. I didn't put wrong stuff out there. You just got to go, okay, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. There wasn't intent behind it. Maybe I was told wrong. Maybe I was educated wrong. Maybe I misread something, you know, but thank you very much for that feedback. I've now learned Yes, it was a mistake, not a habit. It's a mistake. And I think we got to get off this whole, like, there are some people I watch on some of these guys that just jump in like a shark uh, when they smell blood in the water. And it's just because maybe they know a little bit more right. uh, knowledge in that individual or something like that. So they try to assert that authority or that dominance, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's a, but when you asked me earlier, like, you know, what is the one thing I think we need more of in this industry? It's humility. Yes, yes. <laughs> I got taught humility <laughs> early on because I didn't have arrogant instructors and I didn't have other arrogant firefighters that I was modeling myself after. Well, shoot, I don't know. I don't know where Chris would have been, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, you know? Right. So, but I will tell you that humility is the one character trait that has allowed me to change my, open up my perspectives see different things, innovate, but also grow. Yes. I have done the most growth with just becoming humble because when you become humble, you listen more. Yeah. I got mad you're respect for that. You know, I've always heard the quote, like, Hey, don't look back. Cause you're not going that way. Like you see that on Instagram and all that stuff, but you just turn it up and you're like, you have to look behind you and you have to look at mm -hmm. the people that are trying to follow you, you know, cause that's what it's all about. It's not about necessarily where you're going. It's about how can you make everybody else better than you, you know, as an educator, as a influencer, as a, I mean, as even as if you're in, in a rank position for your department, you know, that's what it is for leadership. You got to be stewardship of the leadership um, or serving yeah. leadership well, is what it is. You're, you're representing, especially if you're in administration, you're representing your organization, which I call your in organizational culture. I call that your brand. Right? right. And if you're not representing the brand, right. If you're not following the old mythology of Captain Paris of, Hey, I got a camera on me at all times. You know, Right. So you surround. That's man. what it is. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. That's what it is. That's what it is. And I know earlier when we kind of did our uh, opening briefing here before we actually start recording, you talked about how busy things are and maintaining family. And uh, that's actually an episode that we recently launched that that struck a lot of people. And it's the uh, "What's Your Bloodline" episode. And it talks about how you know when's the last time that we step back, take a pause, and say thank you to our family. You know, show that appreciation because. In my definition, I think they have it worse than we do. You know, we see gore, we see drama, we see all the bad stuff that actually happens in the world, but we take it home. Regardless if we think we don't, <laughs> we do. You know, even if we don't say a word about how our shift really was, it's in our body language, you know, and it's our spouses, it's our family, it's our kids that are picking it up and noticing about it. And uh, you got to have that moment to take them away and be like, hey, you know what? Like even from, for this past weekend, I took my daughter out and we went out hiking and that was probably the best time in our lives we've had together. And we just debriefed and we didn't, we didn't talk about work. I didn't, I didn't pick up the phone for anything. It was just like, it's just me and you, you know, we had a cup of coffee in the woods and she loved it. <laughs> and it's one of those things you got to show that appreciation. And that episode we had for what's your bloodline. I had my guests come over and they called some of the, the family members. They may have not ever told thank you to, you know, who's that inspiration in your life? When is the last time you just reached out to them and be like, Hey, 
thanks for showing me how to get here. You know, we forget about our support. So my question to you is how do you show appreciation for your family? And not just the basics that you do at home. You know, what is it that you truly do that shows appreciation? You got to think about the little things because the little things add up. <clears throat> you got to recognize. And I don't do the, I'm not the greatest at this sometimes. I'm not, especially early on when we had Shay, I was, well, what was I doing? I was working for two different part, uh, fire departments part-time and flying full-time. So I was home maybe one day a week. So when you mentioned like our families do get the worst thing that they do, man, they, they get to deal with me not being home. They get to deal with the off days. They get to deal with the PTSD and the anxiety. They didn't sign up for that. They didn't, they didn't do anything to deserve that. And there's mood swing days. And I've come a long way from where I was, you know, especially in some of my dark times, you know, I'm a PTSD survivor. I have a service dog. I take medication, you know, there's, I go to therapy and that's okay. I talk about it all the time. I I'm more comfortable talking about it now than I ever have been. And the reason why I talk about it because man, you don't know what you have in front of you. I think a lot of people, they forget to be thankful for what they have right now. And we're always looking for that. What's going to make me thankful next. Yes. And if you're always looking for what's going to fulfill me, you're, ne- you're, you're chasing a rabbit that you're never going to catch. You might as well be on a Greyhound track. You know, how do I show my family appreciation there? And my wife, man, she, she's a rock. Um, she's gone through a lot, especially as a, just a, a very busy firefighter, paramedic, flight paramedic, all that stuff, not going home because why did I work so much? Well, you know, probably why I, had, I was hiding from the demons, man. Yep. If I'm just go, go, go. Well, one, I'm not drinking. Right. And two, because I've never drank on the job. Not once. Good. Never, never touched it. I, I was like hard line. So as long as I stayed at the department, I wasn't drinking. And that was a good thing, but it was also a bad thing. to go home. So you, you hide from your demons. You figure out how to hide them. You, you get creative. You may not even, I didn't know I was doing it. I just did it. Cause I, oh, I just need to work. Well, why do you need to work so much? Chris, I, I, I just need to work. I just need to work. Mm-hmm. I need to help these people out, man. It's a small department. They don't have a lot of staff that are, you know, clinically trained that can help. And you know, I want to, and I don't say no, you know, I don't, and people that yeah. know me, I just, I'm a yes man, you know, cause I want to happen. You know, I want to help everybody. I want to be empathetic, but the best thing I could do for my family is be present. Like, I mean, a hundred percent present because even when I have a 12 hour day at work and I come home and now it's like, that's my time to check in on social media and, you know, people are pinging me all the time. Like there's always this constant distraction. Um, I shut off all my notifications on my phone, on my watch. Like my, my phone is a hundred percent on silent all the time. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's on do not disturb. So you got to call twice. If yep. <laughs> so, but the reason being is I, I have to, you just have to, like, it's not that I'm trying that to, no, I'm not. But dude, if, if I am going to have that balance between work and family, I have to do that. And it's not that I don't want to help some of these people that I'm not able to. I know that like, and it hurts. It does. Cause the, the, the educator, the person in me wants to help that person. But if I'm helping them, I bounce all myself. Well, if I'm helping and giving this person my time, I'm not giving that time to the family. So basically I'm telling my family that this person or this task or that is more important. And there's times where that just, it is, it's an, it's inherently true and I own it, but I try to be aware of it. And I try to do like, I knew the conference season this last fall was going to be super busy. Um, I knew I was going to be home a lot and I knew I was going to put a lot of stress on my family and my wife. So I said, Hey, Let's check out. Let's go to the Oregon coast for a couple of days. So we took our, our, our neighbors from a back door came with us. Like it was That's a good awesome. time. I ended up working the whole time I was there, but I got to watch from the windows and playing on the beach. I mean, my family had fun and I was able to be with them at night. And on Sunday I fly down to San Diego. I'm going to be off for a whole week. No phone, no checking in, no emails. Like, see you later. So that's what present. I can do right now. If I was still flying, I would stop flying as much. I would stop taking as much overtime as I would, sure. right? I would drop another job if I had, because a lot of us in EMS, and then we, I'm a paramedic over here, I'm an instructor yep. over here, or I'm a firefighter over here, I'm a cop or a tactical over here. Like, we just wear hats because yes. we don't pay our clinicians enough. That's that's the honest, God honest truth. You yes. know I mean, for what we do, we don't get paid enough. We absolutely do not get paid enough. Um, and it sucks, like, because, man, these are good people that are doing good things in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, why would they not? How is it that the, the, and this is where I, I took a picture of this the other day, but the car wash down the street, Mr. Car Wash, they're starting their managers out at 65,000 a year. You want a starting paramedic makes in Utah? 38 to 40. 30, uh, 
So I can go be a car wash man. Yeah. What's the and point? And just check people in all day. Hey, you see you later. <laughs> like, and make my, my life is peachy. I don't have yeah. PTSD. I don't have anxiety. I don't have all this trauma. Like, right. why am I doing this? And we're not bashing because the car washers. You know, obviously, you're not bashing if they, car, if they 60 grand, the wrong way. we're bashing the system a, for not paying our clinicians enough. Yeah, but. absolutely. But that, 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 it's a hard part, man. You, yeah. you got to pay people more so they can be more present with their family. Yes. You know, so it is a system that there's, there's blame everywhere, but this is where we have conversations like this. We have conversations, discussions like this. This creates more discussions, positive or negative, but yeah. we're having a discussion. And I know we're, you know, if we're going to continue to push and innovate, we, we're going to have to level up, man. Education yep. is the way. That's the only way we're going to get ahead. Only yes. way. And I hate how people don't see that sometimes. It's a strong word. Um, I disagree with how people <laughs> don't see that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I have my associates. I will tell you the only reason I got my associates and, and everybody knows I got my associates that I got it because I wanted to be a battalion chief and that was a current requirement. And while I was in paramedic school, well, I, I took one, one trimester. I think I had like 32 credit hours. I was just jamming out stuff online because I did not want to go back to school. I did. I am not a school guy. I'm not an institutional school guy. I am a, I'm a street guy. Yes. I will learn, you know, with the books and things. And, and like you mentioned, you actually apply the tasks. Yes. But, oh, my gosh, man, we, we have to, we got to level up. And maybe the associate requirement is the first step. I'm not saying we're going to ride to a bachelor's, but, man, how, at what point are we going to get paid more? At the end of the day, and this is very evident in business, I have my associates. I'm a CEO, right? There's not many CEOs in, 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 in this space that just have an associates. Most of them, especially in healthcare, Man, you want to go work as a, say, a CEO of the hospital or even a COO or anything? I got to have a master's. Right. So the system is not setting me up for success in the future, right? By, hey, I'm not going to push myself. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. And there are people out there that do it. They pay their own way. They pay their own way to go get their own degree, you know? And my hat's off to those people because you individuals are what are driving the future of EMS. Those are the ones that become the administrators. Those are the ones that end up becoming the policymakers. Right. So, but you got to have the, everybody kind of support that. So how do we challenge our current issues in this, or in this industry for retention? Right. Cause it seems like that's a thing. It's, we're not retaining people. We got, we got ambulance companies that can't even, they can't even uh, man their own, their own ambulances cause they got no staffing, you know, and that firefighter staffing is a, is a world, it's a nationwide crisis right now, you know, but. Why would you get in this? Once again, I'm the guy who's not even in EMS. Take (laughs) take your perspective and say, you're just a guy. Put your back into your own booter self, probie, whatever, new ENT. When you decide to get into medicine, you wanted to get into the licensed sirens, the activity. I watch Rescue 911, depending on how old you are. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. So so, when you look at that, and then nowadays, a new generation, what are they looking at? Okay, well, it, in 30 years, I'm going to get a pension? Man, bro, I didn't make it 15 before I broke. Yeah, it's a crypto right what there. You, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, what do you think 30 years? You're going to be a firefighter for 30 years? Like, that's going to crush your mind, body, and body. Like, right. mind, body, soul, and it is gone. It's gonna, and I know that because it burns a lot of people out. You can't realistically expect someone to stick around this industry for 30 years. It's just the, the benefits aren't there. The perks aren't there. The pay isn't there. Right. Hey, you want to work, you know, we don't have the greatest working position sometimes. Some of us are, are more privileged than others. Right. But some, man, I, I look at them, I'm like, I don't even know how you guys show up at work. Like, you got the bare necessities. You're not supported by your organization. There's no culture. I mean, why do you do this? I like I like being of service, right? So that's why we're in it. But we can leverage that that power of, I want to help other people, but also progress. So we have to look forward. We have to look forward and go, Hey, like, how are we going to get there? So, right. That's, that's the movement we need to do. And hopefully we get there and hopefully it's through, you know, the individuals who step up and, and take that, that positions of leadership and take those positions of instructors and they influence, you know, and they try to retain the current individuals and you know, the whole enjoyment's got to be contagious. You know, you, you make it a, into a situation where they want to take your spot and then they lead the way for the next ones. That's exactly. I want to train the guy behind me to take yes. my job. Yes. I'm not afraid of it because yes. if I was afraid of it, well, then good. Because then I train them, and if they left, great. I set them up for success. If they took my job, great. And I hopefully moved on, and I, I'm doing something even more successful, yes. right? And that should 
You should be the leapfrog concept and not the, hey, I get to a dead end. You know, the other thing is, is when you look at medicine now, you know, if I was a college student, right? I'm in college looking to maybe take an EMT program and maybe get into healthcare, right? Okay, well, I can look at the career paths and how much every industry is going to make. Well, if I was in college right now, I took an EMT course and I found out that the nursing program, well, at the end of that track, I'm going to make this much and I'm investing the same amount of money. I mean, think about return on investment. It's just a simple business decision. Yes. So it's just, it's, it's not a wise business decision really to get into this industry anymore um, until the industry steps up and recognizes some of these clinicians for what they truly are. I mean, I, I feel like I can operate and I'm not a PA, but I feel like I can operate at, at just as efficiently next to a PA. I'm not saying I'm a physician either, but there are physicians out there that I feel like I'm a little bit more clinically competent. In. So it's an opportunity in anybody's form. It's just saying, we do have clinicians out there that do function in that capacity. They didn't need to get recognized and they should get compensated for it. And that hopefully compensates or, or incentivizes other people because, oh shoot, well, if I'm going to become a, if I get my FPC, my department's going to pay me an extra 500 a year. Okay, cool. I'm going to level up. But guess what? I benefit because I need some financial reward, but maybe as you're studying, you start getting back into the, Hey, I like to learn kind of thing. And you, you, you impact your organization on a bigger level because now you're bringing ideas to the table and change. So you just got to invest in your people. Yes. When you talk about retention, you know, we have programs right now that are no, and this is where we're at. I never would have thought we'd be here, but they're literally saying, Hey, if you hire on and sign a one year contract or whatever, we'll train you up to get your FPC and CCPC will pay for it because you're using critical care training now yes. because that's where those guess that's where the hungry people want to do. They want to continue to learn. And if your organization isn't providing that, you're going to lose your people to somebody else. If you're not providing them and you're not feeding the beast, so to speak, they're going to leave. They're going to go find something to satisfy their appetite for culture, for belonging, for education, whatever that is. If your organization isn't, isn't providing it, they're going to go find it. Absolutely. And that's where uh, before, you know, it's like the fire service. You go to a fire department, you're there for 20 years. You don't go anywhere else. Now, they'll go there for a year or two. If the pay's better over here, boom, they're over here. They move. There is no loyalty to companies anymore. That is very evident in the business side. It's now starting to become more evident in the public safety side where we used to be siloed in culture. So you're seeing it come over. The new generation, man, they're just not putting up with stuff. They're gonna go, you're gonna go figure it out. Yeah. They're smart, they're bright, and they're hungry, and they got more energy than you and me combined. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's a hard thing to do. <laughs> it is, it is. That's a hard, that's a really hard thing to do. You know, but that's just one of those things you got to run with it. And uh, like I said, just you got you to take that inspiration. 